Joshua chapter 20. And the Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out of you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be of refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he doth flee unto one of those cities, shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city, and shall declare this cause in the ears of the elders of that city. They shall take him into the city unto them, and give him a place, that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up unto his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly, and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city, until he stand before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the high priest, that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return, and come unto his own city, and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. And they appointed Cades in Galilee, in the mount of Naphtali, and Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and Kirjabara, which is in Hebron, in the mount of Judah, on the other side of Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness upon the plain out of the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead out of the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan out of the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel, for the stranger that sojourned among them, that whosoever killeth any person at unawares may flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Heavenly Father, again, we pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that your word would be clear to us, Lord, uh, that was written so long ago as we just sung. Thank you that we have it. Thank you that you've kept it and in mercy that you have given in it the great news of the gospel, our greatest need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're now coming to the closing chapters of the book of Joshua. Last time we looked at five chapters all at once. And uh, that dealt with the division of all the land to all these tribes of Israel and the cities they receive. And we did a bird's eye view of those chapters. And we saw some foreboding signs that were happening in Israel. Signs of disobedience, signs of complaining, discontentment. Perhaps many things you see in yourself and much like that we had seen in other generations. But also, despite all of those things, we saw that great sign of God's faithfulness to his people, fulfilling his promises. And we saw that towering faithfulness of Joshua and his old fellow spy, Caleb. Joshua had been faithful to keep the law of Moses, as he was told in those early chapters. You probably remember, it was pressed upon it, to keep the law, don't go to the right or to the left, but meditate upon it day and night and do not depart from it. Then he would be blessed. Not only meditate, but also to observe it and to guide and to steer the nation into its practice of, of actually doing it. And the nation would be blessed. So in this chapter, we see the settlements and the locations of those cities of refuge. Or which Moses, on a number of occasions, had already spoken about. And we'll look to start with at some of these 
um, passages to get a fuller picture and the context of what's going on. Um, when we read the Ten Commandments this morning, right after that in Exodus chapter 21, it, it gives some more details among, of the law, but also about the law concerning thou shalt not murder. In Exodus 21 verse 12, says, He that smited a man so that he die, he shall surely be put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then will I point thee a place where he shall flee. And that's the account of what we're going to talk about today. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar, so he may have fled to the altar for protection, that, that he may die. And he that smited his father and his mother, he shall surely be put to death. So here we see that the law of God called for capital punishment for when someone murdered another person. It was a universal law, not just for the Jews, but for all people. Genesis 9 verse 6, it says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, the man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So long before the Mosaic law was given at Mount Sinai, God had ordained that murderers would receive, would and should receive the death penalty. And the first reason that we find here in Genesis 6, 9, is not just that it would make for a good society, and people don't murder for, for uh, less grief around uh, men, but that man is made in the image of the great God who made him out of the dust of the earth. Much of that moral image, of course, is lost in man since he is so hopelessly lost and marred by the fall into sin. Yet he is still an image bearer of God and his creator loves him and therefore we are to honor that commandment. In the New Testament, when James speaks about the use of our tongues, he said, Wherewith bless we God, even the Father, and therefore we curse men, which are made after the similitude of God. The Apostle Paul, when he speaks about head covering, he, sp he speaks that for a man indeed ought not to cover his head, insomuch that he is the image and the glory of God. So even in that fallen state, he is that image of God. Now, in some countries, and I think it just got removed in Holland, when you mar the image of the sovereign or the king or queen, um, it is a serious crime. In some of the Arab nations, if you do that, or in Thailand, for instance, uh, there are severe penalties on that. If you deface a coin or another image with the king, the sovereign on it, it would imply that you hate the sovereign, that you thought ill of him, that you thought lightly of him, and you would get a punishment. One commentator puts it this way. A. Fuller says, How much more heinous then must it be to destroy, curse, oppress, or in any way abuse the image of the king of kings? So the statue has never been repealed. And as revelation of scripture unfolds in the Old Testament, it's more fully explained and fenced in in, in later passages. And here in Exodus 21, 13, there's already a brief mention of that person that is not lying in wait, 
but God delivered him into his hand and now appointed him a place where he can flee to. So he was not doing this accidental killing with any type of forethought or malice or planning. It was not like Abel, who was murdered by Cain. Even though God had warned him about his attitude, he slew his brother in the field, got him out there and killed him. But the accidental killing was someone, as Matthew Henry puts it, he killed with his hand but not with his head. Notice the phrase in that verse, God delivered him into his hand. This accident was still done in the providence of God. Our times are in the Lord's hand and sometimes you see terrible accidents and we saw one in Manitoba here and yet it is still the Lord's timing. The issues of life and death, the psalmist says, belong to God. Job writes, and he says, Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bonds that he cannot pass. Hannah prayed. He said, The Lord killeth and make it alive. He bring it down to the grave and bring it up. The Lord make it poor and make it rich. He bring it low and lift it up. Now, it would be a very difficult thing to live with the guilt that someone died at your mistake, perhaps. A neighbor of mine accidentally shot and killed his friend. And I remember he was telling me not that long ago, he said, I see him every day in front of me. He buries that, he carries that guilt with him, along with the, the, the dislike of the family against him. And uh, it's hard for him. But in the end, God does determine our life span. Now concerning these cities, Moses, Moses wrote in great detail about them. And perhaps we can go there shortly. We won't read the whole chapter in Numbers 35. From verse 11 on, it deals with these cities. I'll start in verse 11. Then you shall appoint your cities to be cities of refuge for you that the slayer may flee thither, which killeth any person unawares. And then it goes on to say in these cities, all the cities where they shall go to, and what constitutes, of, what constitutes murder. In verse 15, it brings up uh, that these cities are for places that people are killed by accident. And verse 16 to 21, it gives you cases that were obviously premeditated murder. One person was hit with a weapon of wood or of stone or a person was lying awake or there was, a, there was a hatred against him. And actually it says, verse 19, he shall surely be put to death. It wasn't optional. He shall surely be put to death. Remember, in those days in Israel, there was no prisons where somebody commits a murder and, and went to jail for 30, 40, 50 years until he died, as we have now. Capital punishment was the, the law of the land. And it's always amazing to me, and it's a sure sign of, of man's rebellion against God, that with ease we murder millions of babies in the womb up until, right up until the end, and the ease we make euthanasia available that we would have a problem with capital punishment. But somehow we don't. In many cases, of course, people will barely get 10 to 15 years for marring and murdering the image of God. 
when it comes to abortion, it is celebrated and is thought of as a human right. How wicked we are as a nation. How much blood is shed and how should we plead for God for mercy upon it, for the conviction of sin, for repentance and conversion. In a way, we are not different than the pagan nations that Joshua had to drive out. We only have slightly different practices. Still in Numbers 35, verse 22, verse 24, it speaks about cases that were not done with forethought or with forethought, but by accident. And it also speaks about the process. A trial had to be held for them. And it states in verse 31 that no one could buy the murderer out or the accidental killer could also not be bought out. They had to stay what they, where they were until the death of the priest. And in verse 35, 33, all these things were done because of this. It says, so he shall not pollute the land where any are. For blood is defiled, for blood is defiled of the land, and the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. But defile not therefore the land which he shall inhabit, wherein I dwell, for I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. So there's quite a bit of attention given to it, and in Deuteronomy 19, Moses gives an example. Perhaps you can go there as well, Deuteronomy 19, verse 5 and 6. Speaks about when a man goeth into the wood with his neighbor to hew wood, and his hand fetcheth a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the helve, and lighted upon the neighbor that he die. He shall flee in one of those cities and live, lest the avenger of the blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtake him because the way is long and slay him whereas he was not worthy of death insomuch as he hated him not in time past so in our modern day it would be worker on the farm working with the boss perhaps and he forget that the, the guy is in the machine and he turns it on and a terrible accident has happened or the lady is making a supper and accidentally puts up arsenic on the, on the chicken and the person dies. I couldn't come up with a household accident quickly. So. But so those are modern day. Or as we probably all have seen and experienced a near accident when we didn't see somebody crossing the street. Or when we didn't stop or we texted and we're driving and we're almost in an accident. So this is the fourth time that these cities of refuge are mentioned, and quite a few words are spent on it, and now they're actually being established. This is the first thing that Joshua is commanded to do by the Lord after everybody got their land and is settled. In three of these chapters, it mentions the avenger of blood, and three times in this chapter, the avenger of blood of the person that had accidentally killed somebody. Well, who was this avenger of blood? Avenger is the same Hebrew word for kinsman, kinsman redeemer that we see in the book of Ruth. He is a near relative who would stand up for the family if they couldn't. Um, or in case of murder, he had to punish the evildoer. Sometimes he would marry the widow of the one. Sometimes he would 
buy back a slave or the land that was sold and they can't afford him. He was a kinsman redeemer. He would look after them, buying back an estate for one. And since whosoever shed the blood of a person would forfeit his own life, the avenger of blood had a right and a duty to act on behalf of the deceased person. He was responsible to ensure the perpetrator would not escape his punishment. And in this arrangement with these cities, we see that justice and that mercy of God. In the end of the chapter, has six cities appointed. These places were central. Many of them were elevated in mountains. They could be seen from a distance. And they were easy to get to. From every corner, it would be a day's trip to get there, minimum. And in Deuteronomy 19, verse 3, it says that road had to be prepared for those cities for easy access. The Jewish commentators say that these roads were marked with signposts that says Mikla, meaning refuge, to make sure that no one would get lost on an intersection and so be susceptible to be caught up by the kinsman blood slayer. And all these cities were in the habitat of where the Levites lived, as we'll see uh, in the next chapter. Also notice in verse 4 that he presents himself to the city gate. The elders who in ancient times were often found to be in those places. And they would first give him a hearing, as we also saw in Numbers 35. And as it's further explained in those chapters, he told the elders the situation, what had happened, and they would let him in, and afterwards a trial would be held by the congregation to decide whether he was bearing, as JP spoke about this morning, if he was bearing the truth, or if he was bearing a false witness. Of course, in this situation, there would be often cases where there was a false witness, and they would lie or excuse their sin. Of course, all that the avenger of blood was interested in was to get to this guy. He had no intention of his heart to look at it rationally and with patience. But in this way, the man that accidentally killed somebody would buy some time. Things could settle down and he could get a fair hearing. And so we see the justice and the mercy of God. Imagine if all these killings kept on going. You would get endless retaliation. You'd probably get a civil war within a few years because, you know, one family will hunt down a bunch more. and It's how it goes in, in Mexico or other places where you've got these feuds going with drug lords. And it would be a lawless nation in a short time. Once after examination and an accident is confirmed, the slayer is free to stay in the city of refuge. Justice had been given to the man that caused it, uh, the, who caused the accident, but also to the man that was slain. Yes, the man who received protection from the raids of the kinsman slayer had to stay in the city. His life would change. Who had to flee from his own home away from his friends, his work, his family, and he needed to start all over again. 
and he can't leave there until death of the current high priest. And depending how old he was, it may be the rest of his life, or he was very old and ready to die, might be a few weeks. But in many cases, his life was forever changed. Perhaps this rule would teach people to be more cautious and to re be reminded that life was, was precious. But it says in Numbers 35, 26, and 24 that if he went out before the high priest died, the avenger of blood could still slay him, could still kill him. Commentator Butler says, the city is at the same time a refuge and a prison. Such is the costliness of destroying human life, even when life is taken unintentionally. The consequences of that wrong must be carried. Life made in God's image is always remains exceedingly sacred. Well, we may wonder why have we given nearly three full chapters in the Bible about these cities of refuge. And when I think of it, thinking of it, I thought by myself, how many cases of these type of accidents would there be in a nation that didn't have any guns or cars, machinery, or electricity? Think of all the accidents that would be eliminated if you don't have that. Well, I think this chapter, of course, shows us the mercy and the love of God. God is a love a God of order, of judgment. And if Israel would abide by these, it would make for a calm and orderly society. Moses had been told that the surrounding nations would be in awe of the laws that Israel was guided by. They didn't have that. Their human life was cheap to them, as we find in many pagan practices. But we also see, as these and all of Scripture points forward to something greater yet. From those earlier chapters in Genesis through the last book of the Old Testament, it speaks of Christ. Sometimes very clear, sometimes in, in, in shadowy, grainy pictures. Nevertheless, he is there. His person and his work is the theme of the entire Old Testament. And when our eyes are open to see it, we see him everywhere. And when we put all those pictures together, they make for a great painting of our precious Lord and his redeeming work. He is our kinsman redeemer. He didn't come to slay the sinner, but he came to redeem the sinner. You recall when Jesus, after the resurrection, spoke to those on the road of Emmaus. He spoke with them and he started at the beginning at Moses and all the prophets concerning himself. Never had they seen their Redeemer in the Old Testament with such clarity as he showed them and pointed it to them. So now we have looked at this chapter from a literal, historical way. I would like to spend a few minutes with a gospel eye and with an eye of spiritual applications. In a little bit, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper a reminder of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for the believer and where he has rescued us from, from the wrath of an almighty God. A wrath that was real, a wrath that was deserved, it was due to us. And remember, we remember with that 
who redeemed us, who redeemed us, how, and from what. Notice how God in the gospel makes it so that sinners who are truly guilty, not by accidentally as we read, read here, but that are truly guilty, that were willfully sinners, sinning, are now brought into safety and refuge in the Lord Jesus. Christ is the appointed place and person of refuge from all eternity. Just as God had set these cities aside, he had sanctified these places for this particular function, so God has set aside the Lord Jesus Christ from all eternity to be the sin bearer. See first, and as you already read in Exodus 21, verse 13, that God already had a place in mind back then. More so with Christ, his safety is provided and appointed before time begun. God appointed a way that we would find safety of our souls from the law of God, as we read this morning, and says, you are guilty. The manslayer could rest assured that it was a safe place to go. For God, who cannot lie, had laid it so and said it so in his word. It was not a human law or a human doctrine. It was the Lord's. In the gospel, and just like we find here in these cities, there was a clearly appointed way of forgiveness. But this time, it was one way, one way of forgiveness. Peter speaks to the high priest in Acts 4. He says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. You are in great danger if you are yet in your sin this morning and have gone not yet to that kinsman redeemer, to that work on the cross where he pointed to from all of scripture and in the clearly expounded in the gospels. Suppose the manslayer in this chapter did not take heed to these cities of refuge, but just waited and said, well, we'll see what happens. Everything is going good so far. The danger he was in. And sometimes we think we are in control, don't we? The time is in our hands. We're young. And even though we hear the gospel call every Sunday, we let it go by. And we are yet in our sins. The law would be read to Israel at least once a year in its entirely. So they would all know about these cities. In case they would need them. They were there. It was all prepared. It was already made. The solution of the slayer's problem was clearly laid out in the law of God. They had seen these cities. They had seen these roads. They had seen the signs. There was no excuse for them to not to go. How foolish it would be not to take advantage of these cities of refuge. They were that clear sign of God's mercy and God's love and protection so that his soul would not die. His blood would be in his own head if he did not flee to this nearest city at once. Perhaps you are yet outside of the city of God this morning. You are lost. You linger kind of like Lot, you know, kind of wait 
and sort of like it where you're at. And how many people live like that today? Who would say of these cities, well, I'll, I'll flee, but I'll go to my own city. Perhaps I'll go to Jerusalem or to Ai or to Bethlehem maybe. In other words, I will do my own thing. I'll chart my own course and I'll get myself out of trouble. I'll flee, but I'll find my own place. The one that I have decided on. I am my own way. And I'll do it boldly. And how many place their trust in anything except the Lord Jesus alone? If that's your case, dear sinner, what a grave danger that you are in. And how many people are on that way? They're not on the way to that city of hope and rescue, but they're made, they're going on a road that they have made themselves. They're trusting in their own righteousness, perhaps, rather than the, the righteousness that the Lord Jesus gives them and offers them to be found in him. Getting a bit religious or trying to get better was not the solution for the slayer. He got to get up and into the city of refuge and be found there before his time run out. The same word of the law of God that was read to Israel in regards to these cities is now speaking to us. The word was made flesh. He dwelt amongst us and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. John, the apostle, said that this kinsman redeemer did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else, Isaiah says. And the slayer had to go in haste. He had to go at once, leaving everything behind. Nothing mattered much in his condition, except going to the city of refuge. Some things in the Old Testament could be settled with repayments or with sacrifices or with money under the Old Covenant, but not for this. There was no other way to get out of this except the cities of refuge. Their life were in extreme danger if they were to avoid it. I was thinking of those people this week that were stuck in that submarine, those Poor people, a billionaire and his son, I believe, and just a few hours before, you think of the contrast, they, they had it all, they had money, they had plans, they were going on this great excursion, and all of a sudden things change. Stuck there on the bottom, or that's what they thought first, with no one to help, no one to call. Let that not be your position in life. And how many people have died like that and lived like that? All was well and many plans ahead and then sudden death is upon them. How then is that with you this morning? And how do we go to Christ? It is with your sin, your actual sin, your guilt. We go to the one God the Father has appointed for a refuge, a rock for mercy, cleansing, for justification, and full adoption into the citizenship of heaven. Unlike the city of refuse, this is where you can come with real sin, even murder. 
sin of hands and sin of mind. And it was no help for the slayer that he was just aware of his condition. But he sat moping around, thinking, oh, I'm, I'm in a dire strait here. He needed to get up. He needed to, by faith, believe the word of God and get to that place for safety. It was not far to travel. It was not difficult. The good news of escaping this death was so simple that even a small child could understand it. He had seen the signs. But he had to get up personally to the city. His family status or his local synagogue wouldn't get him there. He had to get within its walls. And only there was he safe. No amount of head knowledge could save him. It did not avail him anything if he did not get up and get into the city. Any type of delay would actually be a sign that he was still unaware of the grave danger he was in. But no manslayer, when he did get up to the city, was ever rejected at the door. Those great city gates were open for them. The highway was clear for these people. The priests and the elders at the city gates were happy to receive these poor, scared, and stricken conscience, stricken in conscience souls. All the work was already done. The city was complete. All they had to go is go up and find refuge in it. What a mercy is a dear sinner and believer that we can go to God with our guilt, our sin, even if there is black as murder. And the Lord Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. So many of us are guilty of that. And upon confession and faith, we find mercy in the Savior's arms. Think of the Apostle Paul. Think of David, guilty, blood on their hands. But the Savior eagerly received them. And he that comes to the Savior will never be cast out. But if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. Paul would be very familiar with these cities of refuge. And he used the language often of being in Christ, in him, secure in the Savior. He says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but dung, that I might, that I might may win Christ, and to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Have you gone to that city of refuge, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you in him? Not asking how much you know about him, how many theological volumes you read, what your church attendance is, or, or your giving. None of that will be sufficient. Are you clothed in his righteousness? 
Are you washed in his blood? And if you're done so, is your home or our church, our local place of refuge, a place where the gospel is shared, where neighbors hear about the Savior, how to escape from the hands of the living God, whose wrath is real? Is your home a city on a hill? Is our church a city on a hill? Shining where others can hear about confession and forgiveness? Notice too the great picture of Christ in verse 6. That the slayer would remain in the city until the death of the high priest. Then and only then would he be free to leave and go to his own home. Of course, no picture is complete. You can find holes in it. But how exactly it was that when the high priest died in this instant that it bought him freedom, we're not sure. Commentators differ on this. But it does picture our great and heavenly high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2, verse 17 says, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make a reconciliation for the sins of the people. Our high priest did not die of old age or sickness, as this high priest would have, but he died at the hands of sinners, even sinners that he was willing to forgive at the cross. And one of them at the last moment turned around and said, Lord, remember me, and found his rescue in Christ. Hebrews 7:25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the utmost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Our high priest is alive, and he intercedes for his people. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, and undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Who needed not daily, as this high priest here we read about this morning, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sin, and then for God's people. For this he did once, when he offered up himself. And since this is the case, let us all be reminded again that the blood of the Lord Jesus, as we'll remember in the Lord's Supper, cleanses us from all sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, Isaiah writes, they shall be as white as snow. Not something. If you ever think and look at yourself and go like, ah, I'm black. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. J.P. read the law this morning. And if you're outside of Christ, you know that the avenger is on your heels. Do you see that the law of God accuses us? It indicts us. It slays us. Romans 3.19. Now we know that what things whatsoever the law said, it is said to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
The only refuge and place of safety is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our refuge. He is our rock for guilty sinners and fully bore the wrath of God upon him. He is the high priest that ever lives to intercede for us. It was he that let himself get slain, bruised and broken in those dark hours at the cross to fully and completely satisfy the wrath of God and became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This kinsman redeemer is not pursuing the manslayer like the kinsman redeemer did here, who was innocent, but he came to seek and to save the lost and the guilty sinner. And he says to us, and I close with this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, as we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper, partake of it for believers, Lord, we just thank you for our great Redeemer who sought us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. Father, this morning, we might be cold if we're believers. We might not have thought much about the Lord lately in, in great depth. But would you once again, by your word, draw us to yourself to remember the price that we were bought with, the sacrifice, and all the benefits that we have in Christ. Benefits of union and communion, forgiveness and righteousness. Father, I pray for those that are lost this morning. Maybe their conscience is talking to them, but yet they have not found their complete rest in the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that they would go to him and find in him a willing and able redeemer that welcomes sinners. All has been done. Just like the cities, they are there. The Lord says, come, believe on me, and you shall be saved. Father, would you do that this morning? In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.